we've had a we've had a great week. I hope that some of y'all, I hope many of y'all, were able to come to the uh, Christmas concert that our our band put on last week, and they did a great job. And of course, the weather's cooperating. I got up this morning and just sort of shivered a little bit. I got a fire going, and so it just got me all in the Christmas season. Um, uh, this morning, I, every Sunday, I get up and I watch this one guy preach, and my daughter comes in, and so we're watching. He told this great story. And so, I don't know how it fits in, but I just thought I'd share it with you because I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, this little boy, and he was uh, writing a letter to God because he wanted to get some Christmas gifts. And so, he was writing a letter to God and said, God, I've been a great kid this year. And he thought about it for a minute, and he thought, you know, I can't lie to God. He already knows. And so, he scratched that out, and he's like, I've been okay. He said, uh, what I would like, Lord, is I, I just wanted to share with you a couple things I want, but I want you to know that... What I'm going to do this year to earn it is I'm going to be super nice to my brother this year. And then he thought about it for a while. He thought, yeah, I'm probably not going to be super nice to my brother. So he got his pen out and sort of scratched that out. And he looked over and he happened to see a nativity scene over in the corner. And he thought and he got up and he walked over to the nativity scene and he grabbed Mary. And he put her in his pocket and he wrote God a letter and said, uh, dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again, I thought that's now that is that's Christmas, and so that's a pretty smart kid. Anyway, I don't know if that doesn't fit in with anything, but you know, we'll. I thought it was worth telling. Uh, anyway, if you have your Bible, we're going to look today in Matthew chapter two, and of course we're going to be talking about Christmas, and so we'll look at Matthew chapter two, verse number one, and and one thing. Uh, about life that as you go through you begin to understand more and more life is is all about it's all about choices you know it's all about decisions every day we have to make decisions and sometimes the decisions we make they are small like you know you get up in the morning like what am I going to eat for breakfast you know you make a decision uh, what am I going to wear to work and then some of the decisions you make they are they are big and they're important you know where am I going to live or am I going to marry this woman and for some of you, you are great at making decisions. I mean, there are some of you, and you sit down at a restaurant, and as soon as the waitress comes over to you and she says, are you ready to order? You actually are ready to order. I mean, you know, some of you are really good at making decisions. And whenever a job opportunity comes, I mean, you have an idea already, you know, what you're going to say. But I think most people sort of struggle in the whole idea of choices, and you know, y'all, you know, if you go to Moe's, they got that new Coke machine. They've had it for a while now. Have y'all seen how many drinks are on that thing? I mean, how do you not go in front of that thing and just stand there and think, I can't make a decision? I mean, you have options. You know, you can put vanilla and cherry in every one of your drinks. And so, I mean, for some of us, we just struggle in making decisions because we think if I make this decision, then there's a chance that I'm going to be wrong. You know, I, I might actually end up making a wrong choice. Now, what's kind of interesting is I really believe that with Christmas, that Christmas in many ways is all about making decisions. I believe that Christmas is about choices because I see Christmas as a time when God has drawn a line in the sand. Now, for so many of us, we we enjoy Christmas because it seems like it's a rather innocuous holiday, right? I mean, you, you get together with family and friends, you eat until you bust, you watch football, I mean, you have gifts to each other. It doesn't seem like Christmas is really, it's not really that scary to anybody. But Christmas, when it comes down to it, is when God drew a line in the sand and he says, you will make a choice. You will either follow and serve Jesus or you won't. 
And so Christmas is not just a time when we get together and open gifts and eat. It's a time of decision for us. And so today in our scripture, we're, we're going to look at something that's very familiar. We're going to look at the Christmas story. And in the Christmas story of Jesus, it has all the familiar characters. You know, it has, it has Joseph and Mary, it has baby Jesus, it has the wise men, it has King Herod. It has all the typical characters in the story. But my hope for you today is that as, as you look at this text today, that you don't just look at it and just sort of automatically say, well, I already know the Christmas story, so I can just sort of tune this out. My, my hope is that this year that you're going to see this story as a time when God is telling you that there's a choice to be made. That there is a decision that he is demanding from you. And so we're going to look and see this in Matthew chapter 2. And as, as you go there, there's a little bit of background here. Uh, the Roman emperor's name was Augustus. And he had called for everybody who was a citizen of the Roman Empire to go back to their tribal home in order to be counted in a census. He wanted to know how many people were under his rule. And at the time, Israel was a part of the Roman Empire. And so there's this guy, his name's Joseph. And Joseph's called to go back to his tribal home. And of course, he's, he's engaged to be married. He's married to, to Mary. And she's with child. And of course, y'all remember the town they went to. Yeah, they went to Bethlehem. Very good. And so they go to Bethlehem in order to be counted. And so that is where they are traveling. Now, at this point in our scripture that we're going to read today, it's probably been a couple of years since the birth of Jesus. And the wise men, this group of men known as the wise men, come onto the scene and they came to see Jesus. Now, there's a lot of different ins and outs to this story, a lot of different directions that we can go in. But what I want, to, want us to focus in on today as we look at the Christmas story is I want us to see that this story is a story where God demands a decision from us. Where God requires a response from us. That is why Christmas came. To move man to a decision. And there's several different decisions that you can make in life when it comes to Jesus. And, and one of the responses that you can have to Jesus is one that, very simply, you can ignore this whole thing. You can ignore him. And we can see that is one thing that happened with religious leaders in our text today. If you look in verse number 4, it says, So he, Herod, assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, after a couple of years, the, the wise men come into the town of Jerusalem, and they end up going to the king's court. Of course, the king was Herod, and whenever they arrive there, these wise men, I mean, it must have been quite, quite an entourage. They show up, and they ask a question that would have been a little bit strange to Herod. If you look in verse number 2, the question they asked was, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Now, can you see why this question would have bothered Herod a little bit? Herod is the king of the Jews. And so they show up and say, where's this guy who's been born the king of the Jews? I'm sure Herod's thinking, you're looking for the king of the Jews? You're looking at him. And there's somebody else that you're looking for? I mean, this was some, and Herod was known as a man who was paranoid. As a matter of fact, any time he thought somebody was trying to usurp his authority, he'd kill him. I mean, that, that's great, isn't it? 
Now, that included, he, he had some of his children murdered. He had some of his wives killed because he thought they were trying to take his power. So this is not a great question that's being asked to a guy like Herod. And so that's why Herod, he brought in the religious leaders of the day. And he said, hey, they, they're asking about this king of the Jews, the Messiah. Where is he going to be born? And if you look in our text, they give him an answer. And they tell him he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, how did they know this? You know, did they just come up, they just, you know, just sort of get a map and just kind of wiggle their finger around and just point it? Now, the reason why they knew that he was, born in Be- was going to be born in Bethlehem is because it was prophesied about. In Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Micah said there would be a Messiah who would come and be born in the town of Bethlehem. Now, I want us to focus a little bit on these religious leaders, the, the Pharisees. They were the most important religious sect in Israel at this time. These were guys that were very rigid. They knew the Bible inside out. Obviously, they knew it because they knew where the Messiah was going to be born. Pretty interesting stuff, right? So they already know where he's going to be born. But what's interesting to me is that even though they knew he was going to be born in Bethlehem, they ignored it. They weren't there. It was the wise men who were heading there. It wasn't the religious leaders who were heading to Bethlehem, which was only two miles away from where they were living. They didn't make their way over there. So why did they choose to ignore him? I think there's a couple of reasons. We'll focus on one. One's real simple. It's because Herod was crazy. King Herod was, was nuts. Anytime somebody threatened him, he would kill them. We're told in our text, and we'll read it in the next, in the next point that I have, it says whenever these wise men came and they began to ask about the Messiah, it said the whole town was greatly disturbed. Now, why is that? Because when Herod got angry, y'all, he just, he unleashed holy havoc. Y'all ever known anybody like that? You know, you see somebody, you're like, man, if we get this person upset, it's not worth it because they go crazy. And so what we're going to do, y'all, don't be looking at people. And so, you know what? What we're going to do is if that happens is we're just, we're just not even going to, we're going to ignore, we're going to ignore this whole situation because we don't want things to get out of hand. And I really believe that is part of the, of the reason that the religious leaders of the day, they ignored the truth of Jesus coming. Now I really believe that there are many of us who've done the same thing. We know the truth of Scripture. The Bible tells us that God has inscribed on all of our hearts the laws of God. We, by nature, have an inkling, at least, of what is right and what is wrong. We're told in Romans 1, 19 and 20, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. From the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what he's made. As a result, the Bible says that people are without excuse. So if that's the case, then why do so many people ignore truth? Why do so many people ignore that which they know is going to happen? I saw an interesting interview with a guy named Scott Goodyear. He's an indie racer, and he was being interviewed, and they asked him, uh, why, or whenever you race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, so does it make you nervous when you know that 40 men have been killed there? And his response was interesting. He said, I, it's, I, we don't even think about it. He said, we don't talk about it. He said, this is actually, the, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway sort of promotes this thinking as well. He said, when there's been an accident at the track, when somebody's killed, he said, they immediately go out and they paint over the wall where, where the guy's car crashed. 
He said no one has ever been pronounced dead at the Indy Motor Speedway. So it's like this culture of denial. And he said what they do is, you know, it's, it's out of sight, out of mind. Um, in their museum, they do not have one memorial to any person, any of the 40 guys who were killed at that racetrack. Now, that, that sounds like, you're like, well, if, if it works, well, then good. But that doesn't change the fact that 40 men still died. Now, we can try to put, you know, out of sight, out of mind, the things of God and why God came into our world. But even if you put it out of sight and out of mind, there's still going to come a day when God will hold people accountable for the choice that they've made about Jesus. For the choice that they've made about the one who came on Christmas. Now there's some different ways that we can respond. And the Bible demands a response from us on, on Christmas, the whole issue of Christmas. And one response that you can have is you can choose to ignore him. But another response that you can have is you can choose to oppose him. You can choose to oppose him. Now look with me in verse number 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And so he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. I've said before, I, I really believe this. I believe most, almost, almost everybody loves Christmas. You know, I mean, there's some things that we don't like about it that kind of drive us crazy. You know, everybody always says commercialism, and, and uh, if you go to the mall, it drives you crazy how many, you know, all the traffic, all that stuff. But in general, we like Christmas, right? And we like Christmas because it's fun to get with family. We like Christmas because we get gifts. Um, we like Christmas because, you know, we get a couple days off from work, or at least most people do. And so that's something that's really enjoyable about Christmas. I think another thing, or another reason why Christmas is so universally popular and accepted is because it's not very threatening. I mean, wh what are we celebrating? We are celebrating the birth of a baby. You know, everybody likes baby Jesus, right? Everybody likes baby Jesus. What people don't like is they don't like when Jesus gets a little bit older. You know, the, the Jesus that begins to demand stuff from us. Babies don't really make demands on you. And so we see Jesus at Christmas time as he's sort of cute and cuddly, and it's, it's fun to, to talk about him in that regard. But when I look into our text, I see that, that it's more than that. That Christmas, it is a line in the sand. It is God saying, I am physically drawing a line so that you have to make a choice. What kind of choice did Herod make? Well, we see that Herod chose to oppose Jesus. And he chose to oppose him because he saw Jesus as a threat. He saw Jesus as one who was trying to take his throne. That's why he got all of his religious leaders together. He said, hey, where's this guy going to be born? And he said, Bethlehem. And he wasn't asking so that he could go there and pay homage to Jesus. He, he wanted to know where he was because he wanted to kill him. It's backed up in verse 9. If you go to verse 16, Herod sent his soldiers there and ordered them to kill every male child two years and younger. He saw Jesus as a threat. Now what he didn't understand is that Jesus did not come to be a threat to him. Jesus came not to establish an earthly kingdom, but to establish a heavenly kingdom. Jesus came here in order to reconcile man to God. He came to give himself as a sacrifice for us. And you know, that is the good news of Christmas. And yet even though that is the news of Christmas, there are still so many of us who choose to oppose Jesus because we see him as a threat. Now, why would we see him as a threat? 
I mean, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Why would we see him as a threat? And here's what I believe. Because whenever we are called to follow Jesus, God calls for us to die to ourselves. He said whenever Jesus comes, if you choose Jesus, he says he is a threat to you and your status is number one. Now you are saying, Jesus, I remove myself as being number one and I will put you in my place. And so a lot of us, we look at it and say, you know what, Jesus, Jesus interferes. Jesus interferes with the choices I make. Jesus interferes with the decisions I make. And I want to live like I want to live because it will be, I will be free. Let me tell you something. If you live like you want to live without Jesus, I, you are not free. Jesus said in John 8, 34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus came, came to give us freedom from sin. So why would, I, why would I choose not to oppose Jesus? Why would I put myself under his control? Because Jesus is a good master. Now as you live longer, as, as our lives continue to go on, one thing you discover is this life, I mean, there's some great things about this life, and there's some stuff about this life that's hard. You know, there's some stuff about this life that I, that I, that's not fair. Have you all experienced that? I mean, there's stuff that happens, and you're like, that ain't fair. Absolutely not. That's absolutely not right. I mean, God, why, why is this stuff going on? And it can wear us out. And Jesus says, I have come to give you rest. That's not threatening to me. I mean, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. My, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, if we choose to walk down our own path, it's a rough path, and it is a path that does not lead to any kind of future. Matter of fact, it is a path where you are deciding, I will bear the burden of life by myself. And I know some of you are strong and some of you are tough. And guys, let me tell you something. The weight of this world is going to be more than you can lift. Jesus came to bear the weight of this world for you. And if you don't let him bear the weight, there will be a day when you're going to get crushed by the stuff of this world. Remember whenever I was in, in high school, believe it or not, I actually, I actually played, well, I was on the team for some sports. I was an incredible bowler. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so I was on a team in some sports, and I remember that we, you'd go to the, you know, you'd go to the, uh, um, to the, the workout room. There, a guy would be lifting weights. Obviously, I did not take that very seriously. And there's this one guy uh, that was on our football team. He was a running back, and he, he was, he was on the bench press. He was lifting weights. He didn't have a spotter. Now everybody's in there working out, so nobody's really paying attention to him. And and he didn't have a spotter, and he got tired, and he could not get the weight up on the rack and he ended up dropping it down it came down and it hit him in the mouth and all that weight came down it broke his jaw and it busted out all the all of his bottom teeth now that all happened because he was trying to bear that weight by himself did not have a spotter now y'all I think that's a good picture of what happens if we try to live this life without Jesus well if we try to live on our own if we oppose him what you're doing is you are living in this life without a spotter and there's going to come a time when, in your own strength, it's going to give out. And when that happens, this life, it will crush you. If you live this life without, without Jesus, there's going to be a time when you're going to stand before God. 
And if you've not allowed Jesus to be the spotter in your life, then you will face the judgment of God. Christmas is a line in the sand. And you can choose to ignore him. You can choose to oppose him. But here's my suggestion for all of us. You can choose to worship him. Uh, Last four verses. Look at verse number 9. After hearing the king, this is the wise men, they went on their way, and there it was. The star they'd seen in the east, it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now, the best response to Jesus we see in the stories in verse number 11. We're told that whenever the wise men went to Jesus, it says they got down on their knees and they began to worship him. Now, that word worship, it means that they, they, they gave him reverence, they gave him all. Uh, they did these things because they understood there was something special about Jesus. Now, you can say, well, of course they did. It was Jesus. Now, that's easy for me to say that I'm living 2,000 years after his birth. These guys, this is the first time they've seen him. Really, the first time they've heard about him. And so for them to worship Jesus, I mean, it was a big deal. They weren't standing on the history of, of, of our families like many of us do today. I mean, they're brand new at this stuff. So for them to worship Jesus, it required some big-time steps of faith. And you said, like what? Well, for one, they, they had to have knowledge. It's not like that. They, just by luck they showed up in, uh, in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. They had to have knowledge. They had to seek him out. Like, well, how did they get knowledge that, that Jesus was going to be born, that Messiah was coming? All right, now, this is all um, this is what some commentators believe, some historians believe. They believe that these wise men, if they were from Iran or Iran, if they were from that area, then there was another wise man, a wise man that's mentioned in the Old Testament. His name is Daniel. And Daniel in the Old Testament was in charge of the wise men. And he taught the other wise men what Scripture said. What did Scripture say? It said there's going to be a day when a Messiah is going to come. And so they were looking for a sign that's mentioned in the book of Numbers, the Old Testament, that not many people read. But it's mentioned there. And so these guys spent their time searching the sky for a sign of the Messiah. And I said, what are you talking about here? Guys, if we're going to seek Jesus requires us seeking him out, requires us having some knowledge. How do we seek him out? This book's not here just, it's not for just like a coaster. It's here for us to look into, to read, because there's truth in this book. God has given us his word so that we can discover him. So there was a cost for these men. Not only that, they, they had knowledge, but they acted on that knowledge, right? They actually came when they saw the star, they left. If they came from Persia, you know how long, this is a big deal. It was a two-month journey to go to this place, to go to Bethlehem. I mean, this is not an easy trip. They didn't have cars, they didn't have a plane, they came by camel. Any of you ever ridden on a camel? It is not a smooth ride. I mean, a two-month trip on a camel. And so they, they do this because they want to see, they want to worship the king of kings. Now, you say, okay, well, that, that sounds like, well, that's pretty legitimate. They, they had knowledge, so then they acted on knowledge. But, but what else did it cost them? Man, it, it, cost, them, it cost them financially. When, whenever, they, whenever they got there, they, they didn't say, hey, you know, Jesus, what are you giving me for Christmas? 
what did they show up with? They showed up with gifts. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh because they wanted to honor the one that had been prophesied about who had come to give them freedom. You know, so many times when we approach the season, we approach it with, you know, what am I going to get? Instead of like the wise men who approached it with, what can I give? Now, why did they want to give? Because they understood that this was one who was going to change their lives. And they wanted to give out of gratitude. Verse number 11, it says, they opened up their treasures to him. Now, let me ask you a question. As we celebrate Christmas, are you willing to open up your treasures to God? you willing to open up your life to God, to give to Him out of gratitude. Let me share with the story that I, I, I just really, I find, found it very interesting. Um, there's a Prussian king named Frederick William III. In the early 1800s, his nation was at war, and they were running out of finances to be able to supply the war, to pay for it. And so he appealed to all the wealthy, uh, the wealthy people, all the aristocrats, and he asked for he asked for men and women, in particular women, to bring their jewelry, to bring their gold and silver and give it to the king so they could use it to finance the war. And he said, if you do that, he said, I will exchange, I will, if, I, if I can take your gold and silver, I will give you a cross of iron. Now, obviously, it's not a good trade monetarily. But on the back of the cross of that iron, it said, I gave gold for iron, 1813 women began to do it. They began to bring in their jewelry. They gave it to the king. They gave away all that they had. The new fashion statement was to wear this iron cross that said, I gave gold for iron, 1813. And the reason why they did it, because they loved their king. They loved their country. And they were willing to sacrifice the things of this life in order to save their people. And I thought about that and I said, you know, that's what that's what Christmas is. See, God demands a response from us, and God is calling for us to sacrifice the flourishes of this life and to give it to Him. And He says, and in return, I will give you a cross. A cross where a king went and died that your sins might be forgiven. A cross where a king went and bled and suffered that forgiveness might be able to be given. A, a cross where a king went and then was buried and then on the third day rose again that we might have the opportunity to have life eternal. When I look at Christmas, y'all, it's not just some little cute story about a baby. It is a line in the sand that God has drawn and God says, you will choose. You'll choose. He says, you're going to either ignore me, you're going to oppose me, or you will worship me. What do we do? You know, what will you do? You know, I think for so many of us, it is time for us to quit playing the game of church and understand that there was a God who came here in flesh. And he says, it's time for you to choose. Who will we live for? Me? Or will we live for the God who came in flesh and died and rose again that we might have life?